Hey friends, we hope you enjoy this sermon from St. Jude Oak Cliff. And if nobody has told you today that they love you, we do. But more importantly, God does. Last Sunday I got to meet with um, and have tacos with a lot of our brothers at Menonemiah. Menonemiah is a, is a residential living uh, facility here in Dallas that brings men in who have... Um, drug addictions, and it's a, it's a nine-month living program, and then when they graduate, they go to sober living houses, and for many of these guys, getting in is a matter of life and death, because the addiction has taken so many turns and twists that if they don't get help, they might die, and we get to participate in some of those resurrections, and then these men become our family members and brothers, and we love them, and they go into sober living, and um, a lot of these guys help out, you know, we set up and tear down. And when these guys graduate, it's a big deal after nine months. And usually at graduation, they get to have their sponsor say a word, and then they get to have a family member say a word. I found out last week that as Omar was getting ready to graduate, uh, Jonah was preparing a charge for him because a family member at that time was not able to attend. And then now that Omar is graduating and a family member is coming, they say Omar is not able to give his charge to his friend. And when I heard that, I said, oh, yes, you are. You're going to do it here for your St. Jude family. So Omar's graduating. And Jonah gets, so Omar's going to say a few words about his life and his story a little bit. And then Jonah, his friend, is going to say a few words too um, that, he, that he was prepared to do. Because this is the voice of faith. And when people have faith in God and they've experienced the presence and the grace, the God use, I call it, the grace of Jesus, his voice gets inside of us, but every voice of Jesus sounds a little different in each one of us. So voices of faith sing in harmony, not unison. They're all from Jesus, but it sounds a little different. And when they sound a little different, it sounds like things are getting out of control, but it's not out of control. It's just a harmony. And we have to have ears to hear that. And so I'm going to show you a story, a little bit of a story from St. Matthew, where a woman has a voice of faith that's very different. She's a down and outer. She's an outsider. We don't even know her name. She's a Canaanite woman, and she has a voice of faith, and it's harmonious, but it's very different. And then I'm going to show you the voice of faith from an up and outer, a guy by the name of Zacchaeus, who was not well-liked at all. His voice of faith is very different, but it's in harmony with the voice of Omar and Jonah, and they're going to finish off the message, okay? So, uh, oh, oh, sorry. I, it was just Jesus. I knew someone was going to say that. No, he's risen again. He's not on it. He's in, he's in, he's, he's, he's seated in heaven. He's not on the cross anymore. Okay. I know that was very Protestant of me to say that, wasn't it? So, we like our empty crosses. All right, Matthew 15, verses 21 to 28. This is um, Matthew's account. And remember, Matthew was an outsider. He was a tax collector that was on the outside that Jesus found. And he tells the story of when they went up to Lebanon and had an encounter with this woman. Matthew 15, 21 to 28. When Jesus left there, he withdrew to the area of Tyre and Sidon. Remember that. And just then, a Canaanite woman from that region came and kept crying out, Have mercy on me, Lord. Son of David, my daughter is severely tormented by a demon. Jesus did not say a word to her. His disciples approached him and urged him, send her away because she's crying out after us. He replied, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. 
But she came, knelt before him, and said, Lord, help me. He answered, It isn't right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Yes, Lord, she said. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus replied to her, Woman, your faith is great. Let it be done for you as you want. And from that moment, her daughter was healed. Now Luke 19, verses 1 to 10. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And there was a man named Zacchaeus, who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but he was not able to see because of the crowd, since he was a short man. So running ahead, he climbed up a sycamore tree to see Jesus. And since he was about to pass that way, when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, because today it is necessary for me to stay at your house. So he quickly came down and welcomed him joyfully, and all who saw it began to complain. He's gone to stay with a sinful man. But Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Look, I'll give half of my possessions to the poor. And Lord, and if I've extorted anything from anyone, I'll pay back four times as much. Today salvation has come to this house, Jesus told him, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. And lastly, Matthew 11, verse 15. Let anyone who has ears to hear, listen. Let's pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and our reflections and conversations in our hearts and minds be pleasing and acceptable to you, our Lord and Redeemer. Amen. Well, wherever Jesus goes, there's grace. And grace is not a thing. Grace is actually the very presence of Jesus that touches our life. I call it God juice. The God juice comes in, and anyone who drinks the God juice, well, stuff happens on the inside. You begin to forgive yourself and forgive others, and you begin to see the world the way God made it. And you actually begin to read the Bible in a different way. In fact, St. Paul says, our veil is lifted and we can, because the Bible is a little bit, it's veiled in a, in a way, St. Paul says, until we know Jesus. And we can read the Bible in a way that actually brings us into contact with knowing God. It's the most beautiful thing. And, but here's the deal. When, when grace comes, it kind of gets out of control. And when it gets out of control, um, we like to manage it. And when I say we, I mean people in my profession, pastors and ministers and rabbis and theologians and deacons and elders and whatever we want to call vestry members, we like to manage it because it gets out of control. And when it gets out of control, we think, well, you're talking about Jesus, but you're not saying it the way I'm used to, so say it this way. You ever been in a church like that? Or like, you don't talk about your faith like me. You didn't say the right word. You know, you didn't, you were not catechized, then baptized on Easter Sunday, or you didn't invite Jesus in your heart, or you, you didn't profess him as your Lord and Savior, and we liked, we'd have to make sure that people sing in unison. But when Jesus comes and grace happens, like in these stories, they're not singing in unison, they're singing in harmony, and it seems out of control, but it's not out of control, because here's what's going on. The boundaries get blurred, but the banquet gets bigger.
Because wherever Jesus goes, there's a banquet. Like even in these stories. Uh, goes to Zacchaeus' house, he's an outsider. And it's very important to understand that the Bible was written for us, as Dr. John Walton says, but it was not written to us. It was written to first century Jews, and it was written in Hebrew for our, our, our Jewish family way before Jesus. It's written for us, but not to us. And they have a particular way of talking. So in the Gospels, when it says that Jesus was a friend of tax collectors and sinners, we Americans think of the word sinner as individual. Oh, I individually do something wrong, right? I've done something wrong. That's not how it was thought of in Jesus' day. When someone was a sinner, what it really meant is that they're outside the community of faith altogether. Think about whenever Jesus was talking to people. Well, he's talking to Zacchaeus. He's not a religious man. He's an outsider. And when Jesus was talking to the Canaanite woman, well, she's not a religious woman either. In fact, they weren't even in Israel. They went up to Lebanon. Jesus was up there. They were, they were 100 miles north of Jerusalem. So let's look at that first encounter. When, when you guys heard that story about Matthew, don't we get a little bit cringy? A little bit cringy? Like, wow, Jesus doesn't sound very nice. He sounds, I'll say, he sounds a little bit uh, uh, prejudiced. He just called a non-Jewish woman essentially a dog. I don't like that. So we tend to recall from that. I'm thinking, you know what? The writers of the scriptures are a lot smarter than we think. Did it ever occur to you that maybe we're supposed to feel that way? That that's the Holy Spirit in us thinking, like, that's not right. So what's going on here? Well, let's look at what happened earlier in Matthew, just briefly. In Matthew chapter 5 through 7, our resident theologian is going to teach us this, is the Sermon on the Mount. In that Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, love your enemies. And remember, he's God. And so it's pretty reliable. God says, love your enemies. And I've heard that you've said to you, but I'm telling you, love your enemies. And he also says, God's rain shines on the just and unjust. And he also says in Matthew chapter 11, he was doing miracles in Chorazin and Bethsaida. And he told these people, and when Jesus was doing miracles there in Matthew 11, they're like, nah, it's okay. Eh, it's okay, kind of. And Jesus said, do you guys know what? You're here near Jerusalem and all these things here, but if I did these things up in Tyre and Sidon, now Tyre and Sidon are up in Lebanon, and they were the, and the Lebanese at that point, the prophets didn't like them because they fought with the Israelites all the time. Jesus said, if I did these miracles up there, they would have, they would have loved me. And then in Matthew chapter 15, Jesus says, hey, we're going on a road trip. Guess where they went? To Tyre and Sidon, a hundred miles north of Jerusalem. They're not even, they're in Lebanon. They're in Canaan. And, well, what are you going to find in Canaan? You're going to find Canaanite people. There's a woman. She's a down and outer. She's non-Jewish. She has a daughter who's been inhabited by a spirit that wants to kill her. Her daughter is dying. And she sees Jesus and she says, you can do something about this. I've heard of you. I see you. You came here for a reason. And as soon as she came up there, guess what those Jewish men said, those apostles said to her? Leave 
You're not one of us. You're one of them. You're not part of us. You're like a tax collector and a sinner. You're, and you're not even a... A woman shouldn't talk to a man in public, especially a Canaanite woman. Leave. And she, she did what I call the Mabel move. Our, Mabel is our beloved great Pyrenees. She actually got in front of Jesus and knelt in front of him. She blocked him. She blocked him with obeisance. She literally blocked him. And she knelt in front of him like, have mercy on me. My daughter is dying. She's inhabited by an evil spirit. Please help. You can do this. I know who you are. I know you. And Jesus says, well, I'm a Jewish man and I've come for the house of Israel. And she says, okay, I'll go with that. So you're the bread of life and you deliver your pizza to Israel. You know what? Sometimes the pizza falls to the floor and the dogs get to eat it. I'll take a piece of that. What do you say to that? He said, that's right. And you will. And your faith is great. What's going on here? Some people say, well, Jesus... He had to learn how not to be racist. Does, does that sound like Jesus to you? I don't think so. So a couple of things you've got to keep in mind. God is good, and Jesus is God. And God doesn't change. So maybe our understanding of the Scripture has to hang in there and change a little bit. What's going on here? Who brought them to Tyre and Sidon? Jesus did. He was raised in an environment where religious people can talk about this way in front of people. And he, in solidarity with his grandparents and great-grandparents, said, this is how we talk sometimes. And I'm going to say it, and we're meant to be uncomfortable because that's not Jesus. You ever have a, I have a Baba and Dito. You ever have a Baba and Dito or a Mama or a Papa that would talk about people in a way that you didn't like? They love Jesus? How'd that make you feel? It's tough, isn't it? But they're your family. Jesus is letting us know this is what we talk like sometimes. And he knew in her eye that she already had faith in him. So he was able to use that kind of mamaw, papaw language. Because who brought her, who, who went there in the first place? And she basically said, I hear you but I'm not going anywhere because I know you. I know that you're good. Now, here's the deal. The voice of faith sometimes says to Jesus, I know you're good and I'm not going anywhere. I know you're good and I'm not going anywhere. That's what this voice of faith was. And what did Jesus say about her faith? It's great. How do you think that made his friends feel? Well, I guess she's in. That's right. And why is she in? Because he went there in the first place. He crossed over the border, and all she did is said, yes, I do. And her voice of faith is harmonious, but it's different. Can you guys hear it? Can you hear that? Isn't that beautiful? Jesus is good. He's good. And she knew that even though he said this, that's not, that's just his heritage talking. That's not him. 
Sometimes the voice, the voice of faith stands up and says, I know you, God, and you're good. I want some of your pizza now. I want some of that God juice now. Yes, ma'am. That's great faith. She was the down and outer, and she's in. And that's Jesus' way of saying to his friends, you see who's at my banquet now? The border's been blurred. Let her in. Now, in Luke 19, they come to another place. Zacchaeus. You know what the word Zacchaeus means? It means pure, innocent. Oh, that's rich. That guy's a clown. An absolute clown. A conniving clown. He was, he was a Jewish guy that worked for the Roman government that extorted his own people for, for money as a tax collector. He got to legally rob people and the state wouldn't pr prosecute him. He was the up and outer. Everybody hated him. He's the opposite of the Canaanite woman. He's going, Jesus is going through Jericho and, and he knows, like, I've harmed people. I'm a bad guy, but I want a relationship with God and no one thinks that I deserve it. Hmm, maybe I don't. Maybe no one else does either. I want to see this man for myself. Gets up in a tree. And I'm sure he's pushing, like, can I see Jesus? Like, yeah, nice try, Zacchaeus, clown. We hate you. You, you extort us. And you, you do it without being, you know, legally charged. This is horrible. He climbs up into a tree and he sees Jesus. And they've never met. And this is one of the rare times that Jesus calls someone by name. Hey, pure one, innocent one. Yes? Uh, we'll start fixing dinner. I'll be at your house in a little while. He's gone to be a friend of the tax collectors and the sinners. You see what Jesus is doing? He's crossing over the border and says, I'm bringing you in. And then the voice of faith happens. Zacchaeus also believes and the border gets blurred and the banquet gets bigger. And the border gets blurred and the banquet gets bigger. And Zacchaeus believes in Jesus and he's in. So beautiful, isn't it? I think it's really something when we try to control the voices of faith and make them only sing in unison because we miss out on how big the banquet is and how blurry the border is. We're not in control of it. And sometimes we need to hear what our, our parents say. and We need to love them and still say, you're with us, but we don't talk like that anymore. We don't do that. And we don't say like people deserving of God's mercy, like the Canaanite woman. But that rich guy's not deserving. We don't use that kind of language. We bring them in, and we bring her in, but we also hang on to the mammals and the papas who used to talk that way. I have a, a, a theologian that I love. His name is Abraham Kuyper. He's Dutch Reformed. He's written several books. He was a publisher of a newspaper, the president of university, a minister of the gospel, and a great missionary. In his lectures given in Princeton in 1899, he, wrote the, he had a series of lectures called the Stone Lectures, Lectures on Calvinism. In his first lecture, page 34, He's talking about the South African um, people and the Dutch community that went to South Africa to bring the gospel, but also to farm it and work there. Because Holland is very different than South Africa. 
And on page 34 of the lectures, he says, um, the African people are beautiful people. And um, they're less than us. Now I hear the voice of Jesus in that man, but not at that point. Makes me very uncomfortable. They're not less than us. And Matthew 15 teaches me to remember like, you know what? Sometimes religious people say that. We've got to hang on to them. But that border's going to get crossed. It's going to get crossed because Jesus is in those people and they have a right to sing their voice of faith with their harmony and no one's going to kick them out. Does that make sense? But we can't hang on to the South African people and then let go of the Abraham Kuyper. We've got to do what Jesus did. We've got to hang on to both. Does that make sense? It's hard. It makes me a little uncomfortable, doesn't it? Well, we've got to keep the border blurry because when the border's blurry, the banquet gets bigger and the song gets bigger. And there's always enough food. We've got to keep the Abraham Kuypers and we've got to keep the the Canaanite women, and we got to keep the Zacchaeuses. And we got to keep the Omars and the Jonas. Because when Jesus puts a new song in your, in, your, in your heart, you have the right to sing it. You have the right to sing it. And the rest of us get to sit at the banquet and listen to it. I think grace is never in, in our control. It's always in God's control. And God always has a way of transgressing our borders anyway, doesn't he? To bring other people in, I think we should keep it that way. Omar and Jonah, we want to hear your voice of faith. Come on up, you guys. Uh, hi, everybody. Um, my name's Omar, originally from North Dallas, um, 31 years old. Uh, a little about me. Um, growing up, I never had a lot of friends and was bullied a lot. <clears throat> and so um, I really just try to, really school for me was just a place of survival and just, just trying to make it. And then back at home, too, I feel like I could never, uh, was able to, like, just, be open and honest with my with my family members of how I was feeling. So there was a lot of isolation and just feeling like like I was on my own. And um, a month before I graduated high school, I was introduced to heroin by an aunt of mine. And uh, so as soon as yeah, you know, I was felt the euphoria from that, and it just seemed to take all that angst and, and problems that I had away. It uh, it was just off to the races. Um, I'd say the first four years where I was partying and having fun and stuff. And then after that, the negative consequences started coming along. I started going to jail. Uh, my habit became too big for the jobs that I was working to able, be able to support it. So I had to turn to a life of crime. I um, messed over everybody in my family by stealing from them. Um, and I would stay out on the streets and just be 
you know, thugging and bugging out there in the motels, just, you know, not not being what God put me on this on this earth to be, and definitely turned away from Him and whatever His will for me was. Um, and it was like that for about 13 and, and a half years. I was, you know, on drugs. And I had stints of sobriety here and there, but it was that's all it was, was sobriety, never recovery, never being grounded in God and just trying to do the next right thing and being getting outside of myself. Because that's really, um, the men of Nehemiah has been nothing but a blessing um, in my life. And everybody that I met here, my sponsor, Jonah, Jim, who's uh, done a great great work with uh, teaching me the steps and it's just giving me the space and opportunity to uh, be able to, to learn a lot uh, of how to navigate life sober and not only that but like I said it's just really um, kind of trying to emulate what Jesus was you know on this on this on this world in this world because um, if it was left up to me I'd still walk around very fearful and angry um, like I was, you know, in my young years before the drugs. So, uh, um, yeah, it's been nothing but a blessing. I see the restoration going on within me and around me, you know, with, with my family and stuff like that. Because I got a m- brother who's and a sister-in-law who I love very much and also struggle with, uh, with addiction issues. And they just welcomed uh, my first niece on December 6th, on December 6th of this year. So she's about a little over a month old now, and I just see... You know how that blessing to them is kind of pushing them forward in the right direction and stuff like that. So, um, and my mom too. Uh, you know, and I think my. You know, I still have a lot of stuff to do with my dad. Uh, I, I haven't put forth the effort really that I know I can there. But um, anyways, uh, yeah, I just wanted to thank Martin, Nika, and the rest of uh, St. Jude's and all of y'all for making me feel welcomed from whenever I started coming here a couple months ago. Um, church was always a thing that I struggled with. I never really went to church like that. And, um, but, uh, yeah, all this is, is new to me, really. It's just it's new to me. It's, it, it was kind of abrasive at first. Now I kind of just go, go with the flow. You know what I mean? Um, cause I was just used to, you know, the cutthroat and the vile world of the, of the dope game and stuff like that. And, um, but yeah, it's, uh. It's been nothing but a blessing, and uh, I could truly walk around with a smile on my face, and um, I'm not depressed anymore. I am still fearful, but like I said, as long as I am grounded in God and think, well, God, you know, this this is going on with me. You know what? How can I just get out of myself and and help people? Because that's really what it is, and I, and I think I get helped along the way of that. You know what I mean? So, um, yeah, I just try to emulate Jesus as best as I can these days, and uh all I have to say is thank you. Thank you to God for showing me the grace and mercy that I needed. It took for me getting on my knees three years ago. Oh, re- real quick. My uh, addiction started in Farmer's Branch, and it's just crazy how things come around kind of like in full circle. Um, so Second Chance Baptist Church out there was where I first got on my knees, and I was like, God, I really don't know how this works, but I, I can't do it. This is out of my hands, and I want to stop, but I can't. And I just felt the wave of relief that, you know, the drugs would give me. Um, and I was like, oh, I felt everything was going to be okay. And uh, so that's where I could say, I'm not going to say, well, a mountaintop experience, really, because I felt like stuff was going to be okay, despite everything that I was going through then. 
And um, so that's why I knew, okay, there's something to this God thing. There's something higher than me that I have to rely on because it's, it's not me. If it, was, like I said, if it was up to me, self-affliction would just be what it is. And um, so, yeah, and then um, that's, where, and that's where most of my, you know, we call it stomping grounds. That's where I would always be at out there. My addiction was Farmer's Branch in North Dallas. And, it's just crazy how at that church was where I felt God's uh, presence for the very first time, and that kind of got that uh, started towards my healing, and now eventually towards um, ministering. You know, not in the religious or preacher way, but as long as I could help, that's what I call ministering. Just help other addicts and 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 people, um, you know, kind of uh, rely on God more, you know, and and show that love to each other. Um, so thank you all again very much, and I'm going to pass it on to my sponsor, Joan. wrong meeting. So first off, I want to thank y'all again, Martin and St. Jude, for you know letting us celebrate Omar and, like you said, share part of the gospel. I think that's just one more way that you guys are blessing all of us through what y'all do, and we really appreciate it. And uh, so I've had the immense pleasure of working with Omar for um, a little over nine months now, and I thought I'd share a funny story that came about from that. And uh, <laughs> so one day I was having a meeting with Omar, and uh, it was pretty clear he had something on his mind they needed to talk about. And uh, after some questions, he shared with me that he didn't think that he was an addict. And this is coming from the guy who did heroin for 13 years. <laughs> so, you know, naturally a little skeptical. And um, <laughs> after some questions and prompting, he quickly realized that the insanity of it, you know, because that's just part of our disease is thinking we got it, you know, and all that. And he proceeded to work all the harder for his recovery. And I thought that story brought up some really good points. Um, one, that I think it's really incredible that the men of the Amaya is nine months long because it gives guys enough time to work through things like that, you know, to really put forth the effort to overcome their disease through God, you know. And so there's no need to panic whenever we hear stuff like that even though it is worrying in the moment. And um, then something else that I thought was interesting was I think doing the opposite of how we feel is courageous because it's scary. You know, we've, we, especially the people we know, we've never done that before. And so we don't know how it's going to go. It's, we're probably not good at it either. And I could be wrong, but I don't think that Omar wanted to share with his sponsor that he didn't think he was an addict. <laughs> but he did it anyway, you know? <laughs> so, 
very courageous. And he was open-minded enough to consider what I was telling him and to let God continue to do his incredible work in him. And so in just that one story, Omar was courageous, honest, and open-minded. And over the past nine months, I've seen him do many things like that and more. And he's put a lot of work into his recovery to get where he's at right now and his walk with God. And I'm really proud of you, Omar. I'm excited to see where it's going to take you. I love you, brother.